everyone. Uh, welcome back to Real Perspective, almost called it the before and after show. Um, <laughs> the podcast based off a YouTube show, based off a podcast. And we're here as kind of a bonus episode, kind of an episode that uh, will fill the gap between now and uh, what's the Marvel thing that's coming Avengers out? Avengers Infinity War. Yeah. Infinity movies. Yeah. Of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, that one. Yes. Um, yeah, so we're here to talk about A Quiet Place. Uh, A Quiet Place is a horror movie by uh, John Krasinski. Yes, that John Krasinski. He co-wrote the film and directed it, and he stars in it with his wife, Emily Blunt, um, along with a couple kids and a crazy guy. And (laughs) that's the cast. Like, that's, that's it as far as people are concerned. Uh, if you hear noises in the background, that's my cat. (laughs) um not a horrible monster that will murder us um so the the premise of the movie is uh you just had to have a toy right now didn't you um the premise of the movie is that it's the near future and there's a an apocalyptic event happens it's implied through one reaction shot that it's an alien invasion. But basically, there are creatures inhabiting the Earth now who are have extra sensitive hearing and people have to be quiet or else they will get murdered by these murder aliens. This family, at the center of it, they have a deaf daughter, so they're, flu- they're all fluent in ASL. So they actually have this advantage over literally everyone else um when it comes to this and it's just kind of the story of them surviving in this you know strange new world that's it like that's that's the plot it's just like it's the closest thing to a last of us movie uh we have or hopefully we'll ever get um Mm. yes even the categories yeah and that's yeah that's it um but before we like get full on into into it this is sort of it's a it's a directorial debut of sorts for john krasinski this is his third feature and it's so like his first two almost don't count is is how i feel about it it's um he did a film called brief interviews with hideous men and then a film called the hollers uh shout out william holler if you're listening and I actually remember both of these movies under two very different contexts. Brief Interviews with Hideous Men is based off of a collection of David Foster Wallace stories. And when I worked at Blockbuster, it was on the shelf all the time. Wait, this is that old? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was like 2011 or something. Okay. And uh, I remember it distinctly because it's, it's, it's a guy in a suit with a paper bag over his head and it has the whole cast down the front of the paper bag Mm. Uh, it's a very distinct looking poster it's also like a stark like it's almost like it almost looks like blockbuster made the movie Mm -hmm. um it's very blockbuster blue background (laughs) and uh i so i I don't know anything about the movie other than that and the fact that the lead singer from death cat for cutie isn't it because i assume they're friends and then he directed this movie called the haulers which i remember because I have a friend named William Holler. He's been on the podcast before. He was on the podcast to talk about Warcraft. And there was kind of a joke. Uh, Also, my favorite musical artist contributed a bunch of songs to that movie. Josh Ritter. I think you were going to say Gwen Stefani because she (laughs) ate no hollaback girl. Boo! (laughs) Okay, my bad. Um, And... (laughs) 
So that's like a weird little thing like that I know, but I didn't know he was that involved with either one of them. I didn't mm-hmm. even know he was in brief interviews with Hideous Man. I did know he was in The Hollers, but I thought he just had, had acted in it. I wanted to get a couple thoughts from you um, about directorial debuts and actors who direct. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of your favorite directorial debuts? And then what are your thoughts on actors directing? Oh, man. Okay, well, come back to me on this one. You start off first. Okay, think about this. so I have a twofer. Um, Charles Lawton is an uh, actor who became a director for a total of one film. And that film is called The Night of the Hunter. Uh-huh. The Night of the Hunter is one of the best movies I have ever seen and arguably the best American movie ever made. Uh, okay whoa it's so friggin good man it's so good it's i don't understand how it's this sort of unsung classic amongst cinephile types and not mentioned in the same breath as like a to kill a mockingbird as a matter of fact i think a double feature of night of the hunter and to kill a mockingbird would go over like gangbusters um it's a about this preacher played by Robert Mitchum who basically swindles this lady out of her money because mm-hmm. she's rich and the kids make off with the money after she dies and he goes and tries to hunt them down. Mm-hmm. And this movie came out in like 1950 something and he is one of the most devious like villains in a movie I think I've ever seen. And he's great in it and he gives the way he uses scripture to kind of twist like the way he twists scripture is chilling and Mm. really really well written and well delivered by robert mitchum he's also got um tattoos on his knuckles that on one say love and one say hate and he's got like a little sermon about that that's one of the coolest monologues i think i've ever seen in a movie charles lawton didn't direct another movie after that i don't know why Mm. um but it's an excellent debut from an actor you know i think uh i think sixth sense is another one that's... oh well yeah uh, so yeah i guess we're considering yeah we can consider Shyamalan, i guess right mm-hmm. okay. yeah 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 like directorial just directorial oh, not about just an actor yeah on, on top of that yeah sixth sense is like a big i'm um, i'm here like yeah. everybody kind of like movie for sure yeah to the point where what was it like newsweek or time had him like as the next spielberg question mark well it was like, the next hitchcock uh, that next was the hitchcock. yeah everyone okay. everyone was like this guy is hitchcock too like mm. this is this is the start of a really promising career yeah and for a few years it was, it was. Oh, yeah, um but it was one of those things where it like became so hype that he was doomed to fail it didn't yes. help that his movies did decline in quality yeah. but it also was just like well where the hell do you go when you start at the top yeah you know um i mean citizen kane i think mm. is a directorial debut i'm pretty sure uh, maybe not yeah we'll look into that <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> let's let's pause a moment and i think that we should do the definition of a debut as the one that everyone knows <laughs> <laughs> um you know because like like spielberg has like something evil and duel and sugarland express but for real like his debut movie is jaws yeah right um you know and and uh uh you know this is krasinski's debut as far as i'm concerned this is the first of his movies to get a wide release that you know and marketing yeah (laughs) so it's his second movie okay um but I think it might be his debut in the in our sense. Right. Uh, his first movie is called Too Much Johnson. 
Hmm. Okay. <laughs> never have too much. <laughs> I guess so. Um, I mean, I have one, and mm-hmm. uh, that's a debut and also an actor-director combo. Mm-hmm. Mel Gibson in Braveheart. That was his first movie? I'm pretty sure. I can't think of something he did before then. I think you might be right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that movie won the Academy Award, so... Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty good start right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Christopher Nolan, Memento. That's a heck of a debut, man. Yeah. That, that's a crazy ambitious movie for your first, you know, your first one. And then there are, there, you know, there are the game-changing ones, like uh, Clerks, not particularly ambitious as a movie but mm. totally changed the way indie movies like made indie movies possible quentin tarantino and pulp fiction right oh, reservoir dogs oh reservoir dogs my yeah bad. but yeah. still like <laughs> i right. mean this non-linear you know 12 angry men but they're all criminals mm. thing that's like could be a play uh really like hyper stylized i mean that changed movies yep. you know like that changed the course of american cinema mm-hmm. as far as i'm concerned and uh, in a big way so did clerks um that was like the debut of the like writer actor director combo kind of yeah i'm not i mean there's been others before then obviously but that was kind of king in the 90s was like yeah like at least like this double threat triple threat kind of thing with quentin tarantino and kevin smith and mm-hmm. some other people uh, mo gibson mo gibson right um having at least like two of those qualities mm-hmm. shane black even yeah shane black's in predator mm-hmm. yeah um and now he's making a predator movie mm-hmm. so uh yeah, I, I I think the so what is it? What is so important about the debut? Uh, even if you're an established actor, um, I think it it goes and shows that you're like a multi threat, mm. and um, it also usually it goes and shows like a facet that people didn't think that actor was capable of. Uh, so the follow up question on that, yeah. you kind of hit the, the nail on the head. Why they spend their time watching that stuff yeah, happen all yeah. day? I know that's the thing, but like not everyone who like observes is always good at translating that to the screen. So I think the fact that they go and can bring the expertise in terms of acting over into directing and commanding people still is kind of a surprise to people. Even though I agree, maybe it shouldn't be like in television, all these like long running series, mm-hmm. they eventually have like an actor direct an episode or two. You yeah. Know, what was it, like Star Trek? They'd have like, um, the guy who plays Riker. On oh that show. yeah. Like he, he actually started directing some feature length films, mm-hmm. but it's because he got experience, I think doing the show that like kind of led into that. So it happens more on television, but that's because like they have, you know, 20 episodes a season or something like that. Yeah. I think that's where Krasinski got his start too. I think he did direct some episodes of the office. Mm-hmm. And I think rain Wilson did as well. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, it's, it's almost osmosis. I feel like for a lot of people, um where you just see it on set day in and day out and sometimes i need someone you know yeah i know i think on lost uh i think uh, what's his name matthew fox directed a few episodes of lost um yeah that is a big thing on tv i never yeah. thought about that <laughs> yeah um and those things also they have like such a particular kind of schedule about how yeah they go and do things too i think that's like a good way for people to go and cut their teeth on that um but in general like i just think that people are still surprised by it because 
they kind of just expect these people to be good at one thing and one thing only. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that some of them can actually be multi-talented is a surprise to people. Yeah. Um, so then to sort of narrow it down even more, you have John Krasinski. Yeah. Um, you know, Jim on The Office, obviously probably what he will be known for forever, mm. unless he keeps cranking out crazy good horror movies. You know, just just kind of a, a guy yeah. is is how I get like the vibe I get from him. You know, John Mulaney has this I, this joke about how he looks like a guy who was just eating saltines off stage for twenty eight years and then walked out on stage, <laughs> and that's the only thing he's ever done. Krasinski kind of has that quality when he doesn't have a beard. He's just like an inoffensive, like unassuming. Hey, I'm this guy. Yeah, like this just. Hey, I'm a white guy that you like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, there's he doesn't have a particular look about him. Nope. He doesn't have like a thing. There's no hook into the guy. Nope. Shruggy Jim face. Yeah, he's like pretty bland, yes. actually. <laughs> um, you know, he's not overly handsome. He's not like John Hamm. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Which works to his benefit in a way because I feel like I was pointing this out when I was watching some movie recently. It was like, okay, this guy is like too good looking, so therefore he's going to be the bad guy. There's something like that. There's this weird like rebellion now against people who are like too perfect. Yeah. And so, I mean, maybe it's not just a recent thing, but it's like more than ever, I think we have like this, we like the schlub Mm -hmm. over. Yeah, like Chris Pratt. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Right. Like over. James uh, Marsden or whatever, oh. you know, like we'll go and choose the Chris Pratt as the hero over the James Marsden who's a smarmy jerk mm-hmm. kind of in more things than not. Yeah, 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 that's true. Um, so Krasinski like built his career on that because yeah. he was cast as that partially. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look, TV is the sweetest gig out there. If you get a show that catches, mm-hmm. holy moly, are you set for life? Yeah. The Office ran, what, nine, ten seasons? Something mm. stupid like that. And, you know, he was involved, man. Like, he was in it yeah. that whole time it was on. He was he was one of the faces of the show. Um, and then you get syndication deals, yep. and everyone makes money off of those. And if you can get set up on a TV show, do it. <laughs> like, uh, if you're an aspiring actor, if, if that thing catches, man, that's, that's like a thing. Um, and so, but the disadvantage there is you're beamed into the homes of millions of people every week. And Mm. the office is kind of the last remnant of this appointment viewing must see TV pre streaming service thing. Yeah. It hit at this perfect nexus, right? Where it was just kind of like streaming was just becoming viable, but Mm. it was still mainly traditional TV. And Netflix got the streaming rights to The Office, so people were catching up and making it into appointment TV right as sort of the fader crossed over into those things. So it was able to really thread the needle better than I would say almost better than any show. Mm. Um, Lost, maybe. Lost, I I think Lost and The Office are the two, um, but Lost ended way sooner than The Office. Um, But Lost and The Office were the two that really, like, hit the sweet spot on streaming and being appointment television for people. Mm. Um, now, the problem with TV, TV is is really weird in that it's very intimate. 
we're, you know, we're recording this in the room that my wife and I are renting, sitting underneath my TV. And my TV's pointed at my bed. You know, like, when I when you watch TV, you're letting those people into your living room, into your bedroom, into your dinner time, into yeah. your family time. You know, The Simpsons, right? Like, The Simpsons is dinner watching for me. Mm-hmm. That's I grew up watching The Simpsons at dinner. And that sticks, man, hardcore, because that's the that's the place you live. You know, when you go see a movie, those people are, what, 60 feet tall? You're out. You know, yeah. you have to go to a location to see it. Um, when you watch a TV show, they're there when you want them, when you expect them. In your living room. Yeah. And it's not just, like, once every two years like a movie. Yeah. It's every day, you know, once a week, yeah. whatever, you're, how you're binging or viewing yeah. it. Um, so you spend a significant amount of time with those people. Yeah. Um, now, Jim, the most beloved character on The Office, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say even above Steve Carell. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that Jim and Pam storyline was the lifeblood of that show. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the thing that kept a lot of people watching. Um, I was fine with The Office. Uh, it was kind of... It was kind of like an inoffensive white guy that I kind of like. You know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's, it's an affable show mm-hmm. that is... It's fine. It's yeah. fine. And, uh, you know, the actors on there, they got really, that's casted really well, I think. I think they casted perfectly, actually. And mm. I think that's what the longevity was, is they all had a lot of really good chemistry. I think they really embodied their characters really well. They all kind of became caricatures of themselves by the end of it. But yes. that's the curse of any long-running show. Right. Um, but there's something about Jim, man, that really caught with people. Mm-hmm. Uh problem in that that rain wilson is having is you end up getting typecast yeah hardcore yeah um you know when when you're on those things that people expect you to be a certain way and when you're not when you're a person when you're a real person it freaks people out yeah. um you know and, and and people respond to it different ways because it also depends on the character they're playing. Like, people treat you differently. Um, like, you know, Curly from the Three Stooges. Like, people would just abuse him in public. Because mm-hmm. that's what they saw in the movies. Like, they would go put cigars out on him, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, or think about what happened to, like, a lot of the Star Wars people besides yeah. Harrison Ford. Like, Al Guinness ended up hating yeah. Obi-Wan, basically, because yeah. of it. You know, in addition to Harrison Ford hating Han and right. those sort of things. But, yeah, like, um, I mean, that's a little but bit different. Cause Harrison Ford's the only one that had, like, a decent career after yeah, Star Wars. exactly. Um, but especially with a television show, it's a, it can be very hard to go and break out of that. Like... I'm having a really hard time believing that any of the guys from, like, The Big Bang Theory are going to ever do anything else other than be associated with those characters. You know, Galecki has the Roseanne thing. Oh, yeah. Because when Galecki came on with Big Bang Theory, I knew him from Roseanne. Mm Mm-hmm. He's about the only one. Yeah. Do you think that Jim Parsons is going to really have something outside of this? You know, Parsons uh, is, I think he's, he's trying. He, well, Parsons is actually playing it really smart. I think he's doing a lot of theater. Yeah. That's how you do it. That's yeah. how you get out of um, that typecast is you go and do something else for a while and kind yeah. of reinvent yourself. Yeah. I, I know I was planning a trip to New York that eventually fell through, but one of the things I almost went to, um, 
like I was ready to buy tickets to it is he was going to be in Harvey, which is a Jimmy Stewart role. And I was like, that sounds interesting, you mm-hmm. know, um, because I think for more savvy people like ourselves, Jim Parsons is actually a pretty good actor, man. Yeah. Like he's not that guy in real life, obviously. Mm-hmm. And they give him some a lot of dialogue with big words that he has to say really fast. Mm-hmm. I don't like that show at all, but his performance on that show is kind of amazing if you think about it for a little bit. Like mm-hmm. he has he has to do some stuff, man. And he's, you know, I assume he's not socially awkward as socially awkward as his character is and so he's got to add that layer on top of it and sell that and make it convincing and he kind of is like he's the most natural i think out of all those big bang people Mm -hmm. but at the same time he's the one who embodies the character the most yes and so he's in that that weird spot jethro from bobby bear jr professional boxer um he's a singer um and he was Jethro from Beverly Hillbillies. Like, that was, like, his thing. Yeah. And he hated it. He hated it. He ended up walking away from show business because of how much he hated it. So, how does John Krasinski get out of typecast jail? He goes and gets ripped and grows a beard. Yeah. So, which is the Chris Pratt way of doing <laughs> things. The schlub who becomes buff. Right? And so, <laughs> yeah. So, Krasinski goes and, you know, it, there's always, when a show ends, there's always this sort of question mark. Yeah. Right? Or even something like harry potter like i remember that was the big thing is like what the hell are these kids gonna do now and the only one who's really really kind of judoed his way into something interesting and cool is daniel radcliffe yeah um he took a page out of the elijah wood book of just like i'm gonna do weird indie horror movies yeah krasinski same thing right Mm -hmm. um krasinski went and reinvented himself as an action hero Yes. Uh, like Chris Pratt. You know, he's, yes. he did this uh, thir- 13 hours. 13 hours. Uh, he's going to do the Jack Ryan show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he's doing a good job, I think, going down that course because it's super hard against that typecast in terms yeah. of, okay, comedy dude. No, now he's like gruff action hero person. And that's the only way to go, I think, break that mental like barrier with yeah. him. Yeah, well, and I think it was the same with Radcliffe. Um, I see, like, a lot of similarities in him and Radcliffe in that, you know, Radcliffe's first, I think his his first movie post-Potter uh, was The Woman in Black, which is, like, this Victorian-era horror thing. It's a bad movie. It's really boring. I turned it off. But that's so, not like, yeah, supernatural stuff, but that's not Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. His second one is Horns. It's this adaptation of um, Stephen King's son's novel, um, Joe Hill, uh, about this guy who grows horns after the day after his girlfriend is raped and murdered, which makes him suspect number one. And he's like kind of a jerk. And so you go and watch that movie and you're like, oh, Harry Potter is like being kind of a D bag. And like mm-hmm. he's swearing a lot and he's smoking cigarettes and he's got these like weird appendages coming out of his head. Like that's what you do. You have to go and drastically mm-hmm. separate yourself from from yeah, that stuff. The Miley Cyrus route. Yeah, I mean, for better or worse, yeah. that worked, didn't it? Yeah, it, it, it broke uh, the Hannah Montana image real quick. Yeah, it did. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's that's how you buck against it. You really have to go into like something completely different. But see, that's the thing is that sometimes I th- it can go wrong, though, where I think there's a lot of backlash mm-hmm. against that, at least initially, where it's like, oh, this wholesome person, and then like they have... Keith Ledger. Like, yeah, well, and then they go and like... They go all against that type. And some people 
who the original fans of that um, don't feel so comfortable then with the aftermath of the change. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, now I think Miley Cyrus is considered okay, and she's also kind of toned it down. Yeah, so that also helps. Yeah, but um, it's very interesting to see how people go and reinvent themselves. Yeah. So. Um... Krasinski joins the ranks of another comedy veteran in releasing an early in the year horror movie that's kind of caught on. Mm -hmm. Um, Jordan Peele, right? Jordan Peele, comedy guy. Um, He had the advantage of just being in sketch comedy. So he's kind of whatever as far as as being typecast. He doesn't really have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. He also isn't in Get Out, um, but he really wanted to write and direct. Goes and makes Get Out. The thing got nominated for Best Picture. It won Best Original Screenplay. He wrote Get Out. Um, you know, comedy and horror, two sides of the same coin. Yep. I think that's why you see a lot of comedy guys go into horror and be really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think they're both, what, a matter of timing. Yep. And if you are off on your, on your joke timing... It's not gonna land if you're off on that scare if that jump scare comes a beat too late it's not gonna work yep um because it's all about this buildup of suspense and then comedy is kind of the release in a humorous way of the right. suspense and then horror is like release in a bad way yep. of that kind of suspense yep um so these guys took their natural comedy chops mutated them turned out horror movies that people are really connecting with um so krasinski's is much less um uh, I don't want to say ambitious. It's just, it, there, there's not as much going on thematically yeah. as there was Get Out. Get Out was very pointed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was you know, he called it the social thriller. Um, he said he invented it. That's a lie. It's Rosemary's Baby invented it. Anyway, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, uh, it, it, it had a point. It was, it was a social commentary type thing. And I think horror and sci-fi are the two best ways to do social commentary. And then, comedy right after i think it's science fiction horror comedy um because it opens up a window it lets in this it it lets it lets in the air of like this weird alternate universe and lets your guard down and then it hits you with something right right um a quiet place is really you know uh emily blunt has said that she thinks it's about parenting it's also about, I've seen some um, disabled folks that I follow on Twitter, um, people who are confined to wheelchairs that see it as a the way that people struggle with disability um, and overcoming that kind of adversity and stuff. And so it's, 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 uh, it, it lets the air in on topics that maybe would be either a little dry or a little schmaltzy, you know, yeah. um, get out takes on race, which is hot button. Right. And that's a, that's a good way to take on hot button, but I think it can also help in these these other aspects that like if I just watched a movie about parenting being mm-hmm. hard, I probably would be like okay, yeah, right, you know, um, more benign topics, but done under like a very critical, suspenseful lens. Yes, yes, yeah, I agree. Um, so that's I mean that's kind of like where a quiet place is when you start out with it. So yeah. Mike, what did you think of a quiet place? Um, okay. I, I liked it when I first saw it. Um, I, and you're going to say this before... You told me this before the show, but I was already thinking it. I liked it more the more I thought about it yeah. afterwards. And um, there are things that it does very effectively in terms of 
setting up a bunch of likable characters mm-hmm. and like this family that you're rooting for to survive. Um, I think it does a good job with world building with very minimal dialogue. Um, it sometimes kind of cheats to get there by having like a bunch of newspaper clippings to go and explain the state of things, but that's not a bad thing. No, um, I think that's kind of clever. Actually. Yeah. It's, and, and it's necessary to lay some groundwork for yeah. things. Um, you know, it's a masterful use, I think, of the concept, which is brilliant. Like a great concept. To that go premise is yeah, so aces, like, man. Yeah, like it does. I think pretty much almost everything you could do with that premise. Yeah. Um, so there's not like a lot of wasted opportunity. Like sometimes I feel like there's some horror movies where you watch it and you're thinking, oh, well, like the the idea was cool, but they didn't go like all the way, or like it became something else. And no, this like it stuck with what the premise was and it executed it very well. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, great use of sound design. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do like how it's like just kind of this bottle like day of these people's lives almost. It's like the not the worst day. Well, I mean, it's kind of bad. because Second worst day. Right. But it's also top like, three at least. But it's also like a beautiful day. And mm-hmm. um, I think that that's a very powerful message which we can get into too. I yeah. Think, yes, there are some benign things about like the terror of being a parent because i know yeah. krasinski's get that it was like when it's when he was looking at like his his new baby or something like that like yeah this, oh crap like i'm responsible for this thing like yeah. kind of moment he's got those two he's got two daughters and right. he said he's said that this movie is a love letter to both his daughters right which like that sounds crazy yeah <laughs> um but it's not if you but see the not. movie right and, but and that's like you know, maybe the more benign way of looking at it, but i think it's also kind of like powerfully kind of pro-life too and, oh it's super pro-life and, and that's maybe not subversive but that's kind of the more pointed almost political angle you could take this yeah um, so yeah we can get into that though yeah we'll talk about that in a second because i think the movie isn't wildly political but mm-hmm. i think there's a political reading in it yeah um and well yeah i have a thing about that in a minute but uh it's a really good movie man it's really well executed like yeah. it's it's that premise is great from the beginning. The marketing was on point, you know. Um, I think there are some things baked into it that really work to its advantage, which is one, mystique. You know, if you sell a movie that doesn't have any talking in it, it's really easy to market it with, like, what is that? I watched that trailer four times in a row the first time I saw it. I was just like, what is this? I didn't know Krasinski was in it till the third time I saw yeah. it because I was so enamored by it. Mm-hmm. And then I found out he directed it and then I found out he co-wrote it. And I was like, wow, like, wow, okay, man. Yeah. Like, this is, that's a heck of a thing based on my perception of you. Um, and I think... I think you're right. Like, he did everything he could with that premise. And I think it was a challenging movie to make. Yes. In the sense that, you know, when you go and take the idea of dialogue, like, you're taking 50% of the modern movie making out of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, he, he and Emily Blunt had to go and learn ASL at least enough to make it convincing on camera. And they do, man. Like, they mm. go for it. Uh, I think predictably you know they have really good chemistry because they're married in real life it'd be really weird if they didn't (laughs) um but you know emily blunt continues to be the best actress of her generation i think um yes she is already like one of those people that i'll see anything she's in Mm -hmm. and this movie just confirmed it you know 
I think that last shot is so great. Yeah. I it's so great, man. Um I heard some people go and complain about that. People hated it yeah. and they're wrong. They're so wrong. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So, all right, let's go and start off with something. So, okay, yeah. So the the, the the plot of the movie is that, you know, I already explained that. Creatures, super sensitive hearing. Right. Movie opens on day 89 of this um, invasion. And, you know, you kind of see how this family is adjusting to mm-hmm. the new normal. It tells you with a subtitle that it's day 89. You get the sense that, okay, you, you see a shot of the little girl with her, her earpiece in and, and or her, her hearing aid. And you're like, okay, this little girl's deaf. And you see them communicating in sign language and that makes sense. And um, the youngest boy, it's a it's family, it's Krasinski and Emily Blunt, and then there are three children. You see the youngest has this toy mm-hmm. that's a rocket ship, and um, he knocks it off a shelf, and the little girl saves it, puts it away. He comes back with it, and the family kind of, there's this moment of horror on mm-hmm. their faces. And Krasinski reaches out, takes the batteries out of it, sets it on aside, and tells them it's too loud. And then... Uh, the little girl, as they're leaving, hands him the rocket and tells him, you know, not to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. The little kid, he's probably about, f- he's four. Mm-hmm. The movie establishes he's four. Grabs the batteries to go with it. They're walking home. This rocket ship goes off. We see the first thing of a creature. We see the first shot of the creature. Creature straight up murders this kid. Yeah. No, no bones about it. Opening scene mm-hmm. of the movie, a four-year-old boy gets murdered like uh this is a pg-13 horror movie it's not particularly graphic but i it was i was like whoa all right like okay um and you know it's telegraphed but not in a bad way you Mm kind of see it coming but you're like are they there's no way yeah they're going there (laughs) yeah yeah um and i texted mike after the movie and i was like this podcast is going to be great because i get to proclaim proclaim my love for killing kids in movies uh i am so on board with a good child death holy crap uh like almost weirdly um yeah uh, because when it happened in the movie i was like awesome (laughs) Uh, i said awesome uh and, and so why is that? Because um, I hate kids. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I cannot stress enough how anti-murder on kids I am in real life. <laughs> I cannot stress that enough. Yeah. However, when it's fake kids that are just going to go get a bagel after they're done filming being <laughs> dead, go for it, man. I think because I watch a lot of horror movies, mm-hmm. I think kids are often used as cheap shortcuts to suspense. Yeah. And so because they're kids, they're almost always plot safe. Yes. So it's like no one wants to see a kid die. Right. Which is exactly why I want to see a kid die. You know, it it shows that your movie's not screwing around. There's Mm -hmm. stakes here. Right. This is an unforgiving, brutal world. Mm -hmm. So is the real world. When a kid dies, and the other thing I said is, and not in one of those watch him die of cancer for two hours BS ways. (laughs) Um, Like those movies are a dime a dozen. You can kill a kid with cancer all day long. Mm. But like. um, Henry. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Book of Henry, freaking My Sister's Keeper. There's so many, uh, whatever. The Fault in Our Stars. Yeah, it's uh, so dumb. Um, but, you know, obviously, and that's not to say I don't know childhood cancers exist or like a <laughs> devastating thing. But it's just like, that's such an easy way to tears. You yeah. know, it's so cheap. It's mm. so cheap. 
Um, you know, my girl, I think has a great one. The kid dies of uh, his bee sting allergy. That's a good one, man. Mm. That's a good kid death. Um, but I, you know, it, it, but here's the thing is like when you read about a kid dying in the news, yeah, it's not cause they died of cancer. It's not cause they died of some childhood disease. They kids die in crazy ass ways mm-hmm. in the real world, man. Like, um, there's, I, I don't remember which Christian singer it was. His kid, his, his son ran over his other son yeah um on his way to his high school graduation that's like real life stuff mm-hmm. man like that's nuts and that's always when you see it about a kid dying in the news it's always some crazy story like that yeah and i think a movie that goes and like isn't afraid to shy away from that shows that one like they're real yeah. you know like they're they that's have, like the natural uh, that goes against the natural order of things but it happens and it's very disturbing yeah yeah and it shows and it that does. your movie is like no this is this is what we're dealing with right. in this fictional world now the reason i'm for that is because like i said that kid's fine it's yeah. a fake kid he's alive mm-hmm. he's at the premiere he hung out with his parents. He mm-hmm. went and got a bagel after he was done getting fake killed. Yeah. You know, House Killed a Kid, uh, the the show. Mm-hmm. And I probably stuck with it a season longer than I would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, they killed a baby on that show. And I was like, and it was the fault of the doctor. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's some real life stuff, man. Like, yeah. that's that's amazing. I can't believe they did that. Because well, that's, that's going to go and change the characters and weigh yeah. heavily on them. Yeah. You know, and that's what I think is awesome not awesome so i think is is good from a writing standpoint no to it's go, really to go good there um with stuff sometimes well i had some problems a little bit with the execution of it to be honest with you okay. i almost kind of felt like it can't and then come across like a joke but i was almost like is this like really happening and uh-huh. almost it was partially because i was surprised they were gonna go there but it's also because like the way it was filmed with the kid like flying around with the rocket ship uh-huh. and, like it looked a little ridiculous like i would have preferred if like it had just gone off in his backpack yeah but like him just kind of like it just looked like kind of jokey to me almost. okay i get that uh, and so it took me out of it for a little bit and but then I liked where they took it by the end of it, mm-hmm. so I was cool with it. And I just kind of felt like, in general, there's some little amateurish directorial mistakes mm-hmm. that kind of lessened the impact of some things, mm-hmm. and that was indicative of some of that. Yeah. So, I anyway, agree. I said my piece on that. Let me just have, like, one little slight criticism of it in, in A Quiet Place, which is once that first kid gets killed in the movie... I kind of felt like the rest of the kids in the movie were actually off limits. Like, weirdly. I felt like, okay, this this is the movie's uh, way of introducing the stakes, but now it's not actually going to go and do that again. I agree with you. There was definitely a moment where I thought she was going to drown that baby. Mm. There was one moment that Emily Blunt sold where I was like, oh, crap. She's yeah. just going to be like, whelp, dunk. Like, oh, really? I thought for sure. Mm. Um and then they, they found a different way around it, which I actually liked. Yeah. Um, but I, there was a moment where I was like, we saw that other kid die. Like, these kids are not off limits. <laughs> um, and, yeah. So, the other, the newborn, how that comes into play is we fast forward. Like 400 forward days later. To, like, day 470, whatever. Yeah. We see their new quiet life, uh, literally. The precautions they've taken in this new world, how they've adapted and adjusted. Emily Blunt is pregnant in this. Very pregnant. Mm-hmm. She is a couple weeks out from her due date when we get to this point. Um, 
my first thought when I saw that was, that seems irresponsible. Mm-hmm. When I thought about it for two more seconds, I was like, look, condoms have an expiration date. Birth control has an expiration date. The world is so dangerous, I doubt you're going to go foraging for either one of those. Mm-hmm. To think that a, a a married couple would stop having sex is outrageous, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and have any sort of a, a, you know, one, in that crazy world, you need anything you can get to yeah. have normalcy. Um, you know, so the odds were stacked against them, mm-hmm. honestly, about it. Um, so I actually really liked that. I liked the decision to not make her already pregnant, like in the beginning of the movie before the apocalypse started or something like yes. that. Yes. Because it makes it a very conscious decision for them to decide to go and have that kid. Yes. And it makes it obvious that it's probably born partially out of guilt yes. for what happened to their previous uh, youngest child. Yeah. But then it also, and this ties in with the pro-life message of it, it's that it's a rebuttal against this kids aren't, having a child isn't irres- irresponsible, like life life or uh, children aren't just a nuisance like they're mm-hmm. a joy like in people's lives yeah and, and, you know like a gift and yeah or the idea that like the world's too messed up to bring kids into right which is ultimately like a i think a very selfish point of view I agree. um and to me because i thought that initially too i was like that seems irresponsible but then i then i think the movie makes me go and think back and obviously you know both of us being a christian yeah makes us look back and we're like well but no, like children are still a gift and it's like a great joy to be a parent. Yeah. Still, even in bad times. Like everyone throughout history has thought that they've lived in a bad time. Yeah. But they still have kids. Yeah. Because that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Also, it's never been easier to be alive. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is the easiest time to be alive ever. Correct. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it... it, it yeah, one, the you know, from our Christian worldview, uh, one, the world has always been broken. Mm. Two, um, the world is a messed up place is an argument to have kids. Right. Not because they're going to make it better, but because you're going to make them Christians mm. and they will be the salt and light that Jesus calls them to be in right. the world. You know, like... And, and, and it's deeply misanthropic mm-hmm. and, and self-hating to go and be like i shouldn't have kids because like because kids i don't want them to be born in this world well that like that just means you hate humanity yeah 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 yeah. that's like the like the underlying premise there is or the underlying message there is like "Mm, fuck them you know like there's no there's no safer way to put that right right? it's it's you know it's get bent Mm mm-hmm yeah that's that's what it is mm-hmm. um you know and and obviously there are plenty of children that need adoption and plenty of couples that can't conceive um and you know there's all sorts of messed up stuff when it comes to bearing children as well right um but that's not a compelling reason to not have them or not adopt one mm-hmm. um you know it's it's I don't have kids. I don't know if this will end up with the podcast. I don't have kids. We're not necessarily talking about it right now. Mm-hmm. But it's something we want. It's, you know, one of the realities we have to face is we don't know if we can have kids. Mm-hmm. We don't know that we can't. Right. We don't know that we can't. If it turns out we can't, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If it turns out we can, great. You know, I don't have a super big heart right now for adopting a child, mm-hmm. but... 
if we were not able to have our own, maybe that would change. You know, it's right. It, see, there's 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 this pendulum of of child rearing that I think is is like really divided right now. Like, there's obviously like people who are like anti having kids and like mm. because the world is broken or over stupid overpopulation arguments or whatever. Right. But then I think there are people that are way too into their kids, mm-hmm. way too into their kids. I know several people that are way too into their kids, and it's like, okay, hang on, <laughs> they're separate people from you. Yeah, right. Like they don't get to live your best life mm-hmm. because you missed an opportunity, man. Right. Um, you know, I think there's more of a balance there, and people get weird about kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this movie is a good way of showing, in a way, how having kids changes you. Yeah. Um, and. And, you know, there's a lot of benefits, obviously. And we're both speaking of people who don't have children. Right. But um, I've seen the things that, that, the ways that people have changed after they've had kids. How There are people who are previously very irresponsible. Yeah. And I was thinking, I don't know if I want this person having kids in this world. And they're but, really good parents. Yeah. And, and there's like a redemptive power in having children. Yeah. Um, and, and they become very sacrificial about it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a point where you can get too far with it, you're treating them basically as an extension of yourself, like mm-hmm. you're saying. Um, but this movie, I think, does a good job of showing like how you can go and be a better person because of having a kid in your life. And we didn't see yeah. John Krasinski's character, Emily Blunt's character, before they had children, right? Um, yeah, we, they have they have children when the movie starts, right? But we see, but we see that they both still love each other, mm-hmm. which I think is powerful. And, so, so yeah, keep on going. One of the things in the movie that I really liked was the emotional stuff um, yes. because it's not overwrought. It's almost too subtle. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I leading up to it, I, I was hearing all these people talk about like the emotional gut punch of the movie and all this. And I was like, it's almost not there. And then mm-hmm. I thought about it and I was like, well, you know what? Like people aren't like that. You know, people don't always talk about their emotions 100% of the time forever. Mm-hmm. Um, they the, And so I was like, oh, the movie handles the emotion of it in a very natural way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, you know, it kind of comes up in, conver- in other conversations right. or comes up as a reaction to something else. It's not something, you know, it's something that's obviously present and part of those people all the time, but it's not mm-hmm. something they're dwelling on. It's not something... They're constantly thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and they don't really have <laughs> the ability to, they're not afforded the ability to really talk about it. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, that has a lot to do the nature of the circumstances where they can't literally talk right. to each other. Um, but you're right. And that touches upon like the idea of you have um, the deaf daughter mm-hmm. who thinks that John Krasinski's character hates her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and I, is feeling guilty about right. being responsible for the death of her right. brother. But... It, I think that goes and touches on the thing where sometimes people in a family can have like feel like there's this unspoken not hatred but like there's something there's an elephant in the room that neither nobody can talk about yeah and then like it takes something powerful happening to go and kind of like rip off that bandage yeah you know and reveal that scar and like the events in this movie kind of forces them to go and do that yeah um and it's really heightened but every family has like that kind of thing where it's like can we talk about this can we not and yeah and and then something kind of brings it to the fore and i think that i really appreciated that aspect yeah i think that the movie does a really good job of like it's one of the best families i've seen in a movie in a long time just like top to bottom Mm -hmm the family unit and the way they interact and the it's so real and like 
natural and organic and smart and like all the actors have good chemistry once again obviously the two leads are married in real life so Mm -hmm. they you know they know a thing or two but the way they interact with the kids is really great um you know and uh it's i don't know it's really smartly crafted when it comes to the characterization of these four people yes um really smartly crafted which you know i i don't know the movie has this really interesting structure to it too where it's got this extended third act basically mm-hmm. like the third act takes up almost half the movie i feel yeah. like um but it works really nice mm-hmm. uh it, it doesn't you know the first act is almost four out four minutes long yeah. like the, the the first act is basically the first kid dying right and then you get the second uh, act day 70 and then the second act is like day 400 and something right like the daytime of that day yeah and then the third act and that's like what 20 minutes maybe yeah maybe and then yeah the third act is the nighttime and the childbirth and every all the complications arising from that yeah and, and that's like a good 50 minutes probably yeah the movie's only 90 minutes right uh. um to me it has a weird structure but it works in service of the concept which mm-hmm. is like kind of once one thing goes wrong and the monsters hear them, there's really like no way of escaping them. Yeah, like, yeah. Because like, cause they're constantly searching for like where the localized sound is. Mm-hmm. And so the pressure just keeps on getting ratcheted up. Yeah, I agree. So with that, what did you think of the creature moments in this movie? I like them overall. I kind of agree with some of the criticism that there's a little too many jump scares where there's like scary music and stuff happening. Mm. However, um, the scenes that didn't rely on those where it was just like the creatures sifting around, Mm -hmm. I thought were incredibly effective. Like Emily Blunt's whole childbirth sequence, which sounds gross, um, but like is really, really It's so good. Oh man. Like there's like, there's a good like 15 minute section there that from like her stepping on the nail where you're like, you know, that was going to like come into play. The setup and payoff of that was great. I felt like, um, and her like resisting the like need to go and cry to her going up into like the, the bathroom, the bathtub, um, like masterful. Yeah. Yeah, the reveal that the creature was in the house yeah. was so good. Right, and that's where it didn't rely on a jump scare. It yeah. was just like, oh, this thing's in there. Yeah, no, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's this is real. Um, that was great. I felt like the creature sliding into the water was great. Yes. When the, I thought it was dumb that... Uh, there, was, there was this dumb thing where... So, after she has the baby... They take it into the basement mm. where they put an oxygen mask on it and cover it in a wooden box, which I thought was so great. I thought yeah, that was really smart. That was really smart. Um, really good filmmaking. And the creature's kind of up top doing stuff. And mm. then you notice that they left some water running and then it immediately floods the entire basement. Like they, there was some stuff with like how much time had yeah, passed that a was kind of cheating. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. Also, Krasinski, like, goes up to the top floor and, like, doesn't hear it? Yeah. Or, like, in this world. Yeah, well, especially because, like, the camera goes and follows him getting out. And mm-hmm. then it does, like, this one take where it's, like, looking right at the water. Yeah. Like, faucet running. And yeah. It was, like, I think maybe if there's a cleaner break there, I would have been more accepting of it. But it's, like, it's right next to him. Why doesn't he, like, pay attention to this? But, yeah. So, so that's what I'm saying, like, when it comes to the amateurish yeah. little bits and pieces here yeah. and there. But there's a really great sequence that happens in that. Yeah. Where Emily Blunt, like, kind of wakes up and mm. sees the creature in the flooded basement. Yeah. Kind of, like, 
looking around and she gets up to get the baby mm. and then the thing f- like goes into the water yeah and i was like oh yeah like <laughs> yeah. whoa like that was ominous dude mm. that and then when the deaf girl is in the cornfield looking for the brother and it does the hearing from her perspective so yes. you're not hearing anything and the creature pops out from the cornfield mm. that was great that was excellent too um in general I like the creature's design. Yeah, I it looked that, good. I thought, I thought that they made it look menacing. It, it didn't do a lot of stupid things, which is always sometimes a problem with monsters yeah. in movies. Um, the only thing is, is that I like how the movie goes through great lengths to kind of show how this family is prepared in ways to deal with it, with like setting the fire, fire, uh, firecrackers as a distraction, the fireworks. Um, also tying that into like the theme of the, the rocket, rocket ship yeah. and all that stuff <clears throat> was good. Um, but then there's other things where you're kind of just like, why doesn't somebody just like throw something down like the yeah. cornfield? Or like Jim's character has set up so many, or John Krasinski's character has set up so many like elaborate things that why doesn't he like set up some speakers somewhere to go off? Or he's got like some kind of electricity, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So there's a way you can kind of overthink some things in the movie and the movie did not foresee some of those things like you could have dispelled that by having them do that and then like it doesn't work or, or like, the monster bust. just like the, yeah a bust or the monster destroys it and then moves on to the next thing sound it hears again yeah. but um there's like an element of problem with like the logic i think that results from something well and that's all stuff that could have happened in the resulting 472 days right. that i didn't see yeah. you know i think you can also write it off that way yes of like he could have tried that and it could have just it could have done exactly what you said right. you know it, it, he could have run through all those scenarios he's mm-hmm. clearly in the movie he's not a dumb guy yeah he could have tried the the external speakers thing and then it was just like okay well i smashed the speaker and now i'm looking for the next sound right and he's got nothing else to work with so right there's a way to go and deal with that and there's also like a way you can deal with in my next kind of criticism and this is also reflecting what i've seen online where it's like so wait you're telling me the military's never used like sonic like you know uh attacks against these like monsters before to open up the carapaces to go and shoot them or like all the world's militaries couldn't figure like this out at some point and it's like well i can see a way where they wouldn't like if there's but we don't know enough like maybe there was like a a greater assault that happened and mm-hmm. everybody got wiped out in a way that yeah i think the implication is that they're aliens right yeah so the implication that they're aliens is because when the kid says that the rocket is how they're gonna leave yeah the deaf girl kind of looks at him like you know that's where they came from right, right? that's yeah. the only indication of the origin of the monster which i actually really liked mm. um so we don't really know what the inciting incident was that happened that you know saw them come and massacre a bunch of people I'm also willing to forgive it because it's that Hitchcock thing of like, why don't the characters in your movies ever go to the police? And it's like, because yeah. it's dull. Right. You know, like it would have, you know, because then there's not a movie. Right. Uh, you know, I'm willing to go and write a lot of that stuff off for mm. the most part. And I'm pretty forgiving when it comes to goofy premisey stuff like that, yeah. where it's just like, ah, you just got to go with it. If Especially because I liked the other stuff in it so much. Mm. It's like, eh, yeah, but... Well, no. and, and like I'm willing to get along, go along with it because at the end of the day, it, what's most I think satisfying about how they're defeated is how they are defeated through sound. Yeah. So like, it, yeah, if you have to kind of jump through some logic holes to get to that, like I like how basically the deaf the deaf girl's um, uh, cochlear implant basically mm-hmm. or earpiece is used to go and defeat the the aliens. So yeah. 
to get there. It might be a little bit of a stretch, but I like where it ends up, so I'm willing to forgive it. So as, uh, you know, I'm semi-professionally a sound engineer, an mm-hmm. audio engineer, and uh, I have been for a long time. Um, this was like a freaking sound engineer nerdgasm thing. Not just because the sound design is great, but just like the way they use the the feedback. We, you know, I, <clears throat> for a long time, I did sound for a legendary country music band. Well, they're legendary. That means they're old now. Mm. Bass player has implants. Uh, uh, has the cochlear implants. Mm. The worst feedback problems I've ever had came on the nights when they would play because his earpiece would feed back into the microphones and feed back mm. into the speakers. So I kind of saw that coming from a mile away because I have this weird experience. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just have this thing of, like, um, I didn't put two and two together that he's got his little Morse code or his little CB radio where he's doing the Morse code. Yeah. That she would eventually go and use that. I thought that was a really nice setup and payoff. Yeah. But when I first saw him, like, fixing the thing and her kind of putting it in the ear and there was a little bit of feedback, I was like, that's it. Mm-hmm. I was like, there there it is. But that, like I said, and they do reveal that pretty soon after, yeah. but I think I caught it a little earlier than a lot of people would just mm-hmm. because of my very specific experience in that. So I kind of, I really appreciated that because if you have sensitive hearing, feedback is awful. Mm-hmm. It's awful. It sounds so bad. Right now, the, the place I'm doing... Um, sound has a ton of feedback issues because the whole room's made of brick and concrete. It's not an ideal sound setup at all. Kills my ears because my ears are fine-tuned to hear weird little stuff in sound. Um, So I actually really liked that that was kind of their downfall. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really smart. It was really realistic. Um, I think even the way they went about defeating them through the the sound system with the, the feedback... Um, was really realistic of like, oh, let's put two and two together just now. It's, yeah. you know, the solution felt so in front of them the whole time that they completely missed it, yeah. which is the premise for this movie, honestly. Like, the premise for this movie is so great that I was like, how did no one think of this? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. how how has this not been a thing before? Mm-hmm. Um, and I like how it, it didn't completely kill them. It just exposes them. Yeah. You know, like, because it, it requires then, I think, like, a violent act to actually stop them still. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just, yeah, we play loud m- music at them and they die. It's yeah. like, it exposes them to something else. And so it leads to that great ending shot, because mm-hmm. I will say it's a good ending shot, yeah. and you agree, Yeah. Um, of we get this cathartic, like, yeah, they're going to go to town on these yeah, things. Yeah, like it's on. Because they're going to play sounds and like expose their armor and then go and kill them. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, the, the, the last shot of the movie is... So what what happens is a little girl uses her her hearing aid to create feedback. It opens up the armor on this creature that's mostly ears, mm-hmm. you know, um, which is why they're able to do what they do. I, I liked that, too. I liked that yeah. they went and showed, like, oh, yeah, they have these huge... They don't even have ears. They're just, like, their whole head is ear. Yeah. Um, and so it was a very, like, natural ex- explanation. Everything just felt so natural about the world. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> it, and then Emily Blunt shoots it, and it dies, and so they know that this is a solution. She goes and looks at her mom and, like, readies her next set of feedback. They see him coming on the security cameras, and she looks at her daughter and just, like, like cocks the gun, right? Right. And it's just, like, it's on. Yeah. And that's the end. That's the end shot. I loved it. Yeah. It was That's how you end a freaking horror movie, mm-hmm. man. 
Um, I feel like it, it, it was this kind of great horror ending that had its cake and eats it too. Horror movies are always trying to be too clever for their yes. own good um, with, with their, their ending shots. Uh, I really hate the ones that like you think the bad thing is dead, but then like it shows up in some jump scare thing at the end and it's like, oh, it's alive still. Yeah, and the movie's over. The only time that's ever worked is in Carrie, and that's because yeah. Brian De Palma made that movie. You know, <laughs> yeah. like... Because um, like, that goes and snatches away the catharsis that, yes. you, that you've been waiting for out of your hands, and it's just for the sake of one more surprise. Yeah, so The Conjuring does that really smartly, too, the first one, where it they defeat the thing, and then they have this little, like, symbol-clangy uh, symbol monkey mm-hmm. that they got from another investigation they were doing alongside the main investigation of the movie and the last shot of the movie is that he puts it on a shelf in their room of like possessed items basically and the last shot of the movie is the monkey starts doing the symbols there and it's really great because it's this great thing that shows that there's still threats out there but the main threat has still been taken care of you know it still shows that like there's other stuff they have to deal with because their Mm. job is to go and be demonologists and exorcists and all this stuff but it also ha- provides the catharsis of seeing them overcome right. what happened mm-hmm. with the main demon. Yes. Right. Um, I like I so the idea of it's not over is fine. Right. But the way a lot of horror movies execute it really undermines the movie that came before it. It's mm-hmm. they're almost never well executed at all. Um, this I thought was great because it's this ambiguous ending. Um but it's a positive one, which you kind of never see in a horror movie. And like the action scene I wrote in my head was great. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. liked I liked the sort of creative writing exercise mm-hmm. that the movie ends on of yeah. like you decide. You know, it's like a choose your own ending in a, the best way possible. Yeah. Of like you write this now. You mm-hmm. you go and take this into the world and write what what happens. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, I choose to believe that Emily Blunt just goes to town on these Oh, things. yeah. For sure. <laughs> I think partially because Emily Blunt has established herself as an action heroine. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I just f- pictured her going full edge of tomorrow on these yeah. people. Like, uh, but you need that scene, I think, to have the rest of the movie make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's necessary after what happened to John Krasinski's character earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Spoilers, Mace the Sacrifice. Um, for that family to have like a victory over something mm-hmm. and to like have learned something and they're bonding mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they've kind of like come together again as a unit despite this tragedy to go yep. and fight something evil yep. and you you can't do that if it ends before that point and you really can't do that if it ends I mean you could do it if it ends after that point but it'd be like, I don't think an action scene her fighting things is necessary either just yeah. it on that moment of unity I think yeah. is necessary yes yeah, it, I think it coheses the whole theme. Yeah. It coheses all of the themes of the movie really nicely without having to go... Like, I think anything extra would have been um, gratuitous and not a good way. Not yeah. the, It's a PG-13 movie, so it's not particularly brutal. Mm. But it just would have been like, uh, okay... Like, it would, have, it would have undermined the catharsis of that. Yeah. Right? It would have just been like, and yeah, we get it. Mm. You know, it, rather than this that gives you... It credits you with... Being a smart person who's actively thinking about this piece of work that you're watching. Right. You know, it credits you with being like, you know, yeah, like that's how it goes. And then, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, it's not a cop out to go and end it before them mm-hmm. fighting the other things. It's perfect. Also, 
to have a movie that's about a quiet place in with someone cocking a shotgun. Yeah. Like, you know, which is like a really loud action. It's yeah. pretty, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But, I hadn't thought about yeah. that. Um, yeah, it's a good movie, man. Um, do you have anything else? Well, I mean, I could just also talk about, I mean, I know we talked about the pro-life stuff, but yeah. it's also kind of Christian. Yeah. Christian. I mean, the fa- the family goes and prays at the dinner table. Yeah. Like despite all these other crazy things, they like, it's kind of like a traditional family value <laughs> yeah. kind of like yeah. thing going on in the yep. movie. Like it, I don't want to say there's like traditional gender roles exactly, but there kind of is. Like yeah. Emily Blunt is is obviously like going to be a badass at the end of the movie, and right. she was throughout. Don't get me wrong, right? Yeah, but also like her her femininity is not being disguised in the whole movie. She's yeah. pregnant. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, and it's not treating it as like that's a detriment or anything like that. It's something that like is good for the world that, mm-hmm. that she is, you know, still having children and yeah. doing these things. And it's good that John Krasinski is still trying to be a good father and protect his family. Like he's yeah. the the protector in one sense, but Emily Blunt is also like the protector in another sense. Yeah. And um I really liked that. I, and I think it's weird how horror films, the horror genre is kind of like the last bastion where we can see that like it, yeah. like, where Christians are positively portrayed in almost anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, besides being like hypocrites or jackasses or uh, child abusers or molesters or anything right. like that. Well, that's the thing, right? Like this is the best Christian movie you can go and see right now. That's not maybe that Paul movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, cause like thinking what's that, there's the, I can only imagine movie, which right. is not a Christian movie. It's a movie about a band and a song. There's God's not dead. This time there's a subtitle. Uh, <laughs> and then Paul, the apostle of Christ. I only want to see one of those movies. It's mm. the Paul movie. And from what I understand, it's decent. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not too cute. It's not, you know, uh, it's, it's pretty well made. It's, it's about as good a movie about the life of Paul as we can get. And, uh, it's not outstanding or this huge epic or anything, but you know, it, it looks like they put some effort into it. Caviezel plays Paul in it, which throws off the whole Jesus cinematic universe. <laughs> but, um, the JCU and uh, <laughs> um, you, but but it, it means that they went and like found some actual talent to be in this thing, not just like I don't know, my pastor's neighbor. Um, and so outside of that movie, I think this is about the most Christian movie you can go and watch right mm-hmm. now in this sort of post Easter season. Here will be my final argument for the podcast, if anything. When you have freaking weirdos making movies, I mean, fine. Like, you, you can get some good art from that, sure. Mm-hmm. But, like, we need more normal-ass people <laughs> making movies because they make movies that are actually about real things. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, last thing I have, um, concessions need to be banned from screenings of this movie. Yes. Um, yeah. I actually did not dig our audience that much. They were freaking awful yeah um they were really bad i was very disappointed with them yeah i i I say this as someone who had a drink in the movie theater i should not have been allowed to take that in yeah um now i understand that that's how the theater makes their money i'm not an idiot i I know it's basically untenable for that to happen it should happen (laughs) um the the yeah the the they there should be squishy foods only screenings of the movie at the very least like to the point where i i know legally you're supposed to let people bring water and i don't think they should let water in (laughs) like i'm i'm that extreme about how little noise should be happening in the theater the hot dogs are fine if you unwrap them before the movie starts that's about it Mm -hmm. and no water yes so just eat a hot dog yes (laughs) just eat a hot dog with no water 
if you're gonna get to concessions at all that's fine i mean you're not one of those hot dog eating you're not kobayashi yeah you don't need the water wait yeah wait 90 minutes yeah 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 i'm actually surprised nowhere is doing that Mm. i'm like i feel like i would have heard about that yeah and i'm kind of surprised they're not i'm wondering if maybe this next weekend they might yeah maybe i don't know it kind of needs to be like a twitter campaign or something like that yeah but, yeah that's actually the most i pay attention to being concessions yeah like in a theater oh i i yeah i had like an anxiety attack about it before the damn movie yeah. so it's it did quiet down like in the last half of it yeah for the first 30 minutes or so especially i was like shut up yeah like, stop that rappler you know yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I even, like, the night before, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was funny, because I hadn't even seen people complaining on Twitter about it, really. I had um, seen mostly stuff saying, this is the one movie where everyone shuts up. Oh, really? And I was looking forward to that, and I, it didn't It didn't happen. happen. It yeah, didn't happen at all. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, now, it, for, it, um, I hadn't seen either way on that. But I had this thought of like, uh, no, it's going to be a problem. Like, yeah. it's going to be a problem for me hardcore. And mm-hmm. then it turned out it was. Yes. I don't know if it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it sounds like it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, no, don't don't buy don't buy concessions if you're seeing this movie. Do me a favor. Yeah. Don't buy concessions when you're seeing this movie. Or buy them, but then eat them afterwards. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Go and spend the extra amount of money at the concession stand only to not eat them in the theater, but then bring them outside with you. Yep. That's fine. Do that. I'm fine with that. Yeah, don't don't do it, man. It's it's just bad news. Don't do it. go to dinner before or after. Mm-hmm. You're fine. Yeah. That's going to be better for you anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine what these freaking theaters that serve food are doing. <laughs> I would, I think I would slap somebody if a server came by during that movie. Yeah, right? Like, like what the hell is wrong with you? It's just like unleash the monster on those people. Yeah. Yeah. I well and and that's the thing is for like his anti talking is some something like Alamo Draft House is. I feel like they would really be cracking down on it, but Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't like I said, I haven't heard anything, but whatever. Yeah, so don't buy concessions, but do go see a quiet place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's real good. It's it's uh, it's, a, it's a, one thing we didn't talk about. It's a pretty down the line, no BS, no frills monster movie. Mm-hmm. It's there's not a lot going on. Yeah, I don't mean that. Okay, I don't. I, I feel like I kind of oversold this movie in some respects. I really do like it. Yeah, but it's just a solid movie. Yeah, it's it's like a good just building blocks yeah. movie. You know, it's. It's not one of these, like I said, it's not one of these A24, um, mm. quote, elevated horror, synth soundtrack, cool tracking shots, nothing really happens, or mm. movies like it follows. Um, a lot of people just got really mad at me. That's fine. The movie's not as good as you think it is. Uh, it, it's just kind of a creature feature that mm. is pretty solid. Yep. That's it. Like, that's, that's the whole movie. Sometimes that's exactly what we need yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. no i am the the biggest fan of simple mm-hmm. of you know the kiss method of keep it simple stupid yep. like if especially for someone who's like not as experienced just keep it at your level man yeah and it's not to say it's not a challenging movie it's no a, it, it is but had it been hard to make but it's not overly convoluted yeah yeah yeah. which i appreciate yeah really easy to follow really easy to follow mm-hmm. that's a good movie go see it yes 
Um, and go see it loud. That's the, the argument above like dealing with the concessions people is seeing it loud. Yes. You have to see it loud. If mm-hmm. not, it's, I feel like it's a waste. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure it's a movie I would watch at home actually. Yeah. I, I actually would say it isn't at no. all unless you have a really good sound system. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, we'll be back with in- Avengers. Avengers. I almost said Avengers. Avengers: <laughs> Affinity War. <laughs> 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 what <laughs> just a bunch of people being like i like, like your you. haircut <laughs> thanks man i like how your costume looks cool <laughs> Thanos is like man you got a cool glove thanks you guys are all right <laughs> let's not inventors inventors <laughs> affinity war colon you guys are all right <laughs> Why don't why why do always the best jokes come at like the hour thirty mark? <laughs> it's because we're stir crazy at that point. Man, that's so stupid. Uh, All right, this is gonna suck to edit, but yeah. it was a good conversation. It was. Um, Maybe reduce the kid killing segments. <laughs> Nah, that's all saying. It's only going to be that. It's just going to open and close on that. Maybe that should be its own separate podcast. The bonus cast. Oh, man. It's going to be real weird to hear me being like, kill every kid in a movie. <laughs> also, I love Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, like we were saying, you need a lot of darkness for the light that going to shine through. Yeah, see? Through, so. There you go. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah, we'll be back for uh, Avengers Affinity War, colon, you guys are all right. Um, at the end of the month, uh, I've been watching all of them leading up to it, so uh, I'm sorry. it should be interesting. Um, those movies are all right. Colin, those movies are all right. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I've just I've, I've, I think we're tracking to have all of them through Black Panther seen again. Uh, a lot of them I'd only seen one time. Um, and I think are better the deeper we get into this, actually. Um, so I think it'll be kind of an interesting talk. Uh, phase two is a lot better than I remembered it being, although Winter Soldier has a lot to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we'll be back to kind of see what the payoff is, or the first half of the payoff is to this thing, because... Uh, man, oh man, you guys are going to be so mad. So many people are going to be so upset yeah. by this movie. I can't wait. It's going to be yeah. hilarious that yeah. you didn't see this coming. Nope. Um, not prepared. Yeah. Uh, like I, I struggle with having a superiority complex about it because like, man, yep. so many people don't realize what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's going to be super funny to watch all this hate trickle in for it. Yep. We like they have ill prepared audiences to deal with this. Yeah. It's gonna be so great. Yeah. Um anyway, so we'll be back to talk about that. Uh and just sort of that experiment as a whole, because that's a crazy idea. Um it really is. It's really crazy. I can't believe it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah, so we'll see you then. Um until then I'm hosting a Screening of Ghostbusters on April 16th. That's this Monday at the Fox Theater here in Bakersfield. Tickets are only $5. Um, You can come and see me give a little history lesson about Ghostbusters. And... um,
Then the week after that, I'll be introducing a screening of Singing in the Rain at the same venue for the same amount of money. My favorite movie movie musical of all time. So, uh, yeah, that'll be a good time. Um, I have a cool thing I'm doing tomorrow at the time of this recording, but I can't talk to you about it yet, but I will talk to you about it next time. Follow me on Twitter, at MJSmith891, if you want to find out what that cool thing is beforehand. I'm pretty excited about it. It's going to be sweet. Um, Mike, do you have anything? Uh, my book, The Aurora War, on Amazon. Go buy it. Details to follow about a book signing coming up soon, possibly. Yay! Yay. All right. Uh, yeah, that'll do it. We'll see you guys for Avengers Infinity War. The Avengers Affinity War, mm-hmm. Colin, you guys are all right. Uh, until next time. Even a fanboy knows that. <laughs> <laughs> We're the bad guys. There it is.